Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, everybody. Uh, I thought I'd cover all my bases there. Uh, welcome to Connect Church Online. It really is an honor and a privilege to be with you today. I recognize that we aren't all in one building gathered together, but God's church is still meeting in homes around our city, and I'm really encouraged by that. And I trust that today you'll be blessed by the word that the Lord has for us uh, together. So, um, if you haven't been with us, or if uh, this uh, message was shared with you by a friend, uh, as a church here at Connect, we've been going through a series in the book of Genesis, and so we're going to, we're going to continue with that. Uh, John, John preached a message last week out of chapters 37 to 39, and we really are in the, the part of Genesis that deals with the life of Joseph. John's message last week was entitled, This is Not the End of the Story, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't watched it, Go to our YouTube channel, go to our website, click on that, and go and watch that. Today, we're still going to be looking into the life of Joseph, although we're going to be focusing specifically on chapters 41, verses 37 to 57. And the sermon title today is Out of the Ashes by God's Grace. And, and really, what we're going to be doing is looking at a few principles and a few lessons we can learn from the life of Joseph in that specific season of his life. Like I said, if you haven't been uh, tracking with us or don't know the story of Joseph, let me just bring you up to speed quickly. So uh, Joseph had uh, 11 brothers. He was one of 12 brothers. His, his father had 12 sons, uh, of which Joseph was the absolute favorite. And of course, this didn't make him the favorite brother. In fact, it made him the least favorite brother, at least with his 10 older brothers. And they got really, really irritated with him to the point where they decided that they were going to take his life. Uh, but instead of doing that, what happened was um, one of them had a great idea to sell him into slavery and make a bit of money off of him. So I suppose out of the two choices they thought they had, they, to their credit, chose the better option. So they decided to, to, to sell him into slavery and to tell his father that he had been devoured by a wild animal. So then Joseph is carried off into Egypt into slavery, and through a series of, you can call them, unfortunate events over the course of what's probably about 13 years, Joseph eventually arrived in the courts of Pharaoh to interpret a pair of dreams that Pharaoh had had. And none of Pharaoh's magicians or cupbearers could interpret the dream for him, so he was frustrated. So Joseph ends up uh, telling Pharaoh boldly yet humbly uh, that the dreams that he had were from God himself and that only God was the one who would be able to bring the interpretation and only God was the one who was going to bring to fruition the prophecies prophesied in his dreams. So Joseph ends up telling Pharaoh what the dreams mean and this uh, today is where we pick up in the life of Joseph with Pharaoh saying something along the lines of this. Well, if this is what's going to happen, if we're going to have seven good years and seven lean years, then we need somebody who's gifted by God to be able to lead us through this. And at that point, it's when Pharaoh turns to Joseph and says, Joseph, how about you? So let's read together. We're going to be reading, if you have your Bibles or an app on your phone, you can turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 41. Verse 37 to 57. This is what it says. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. <laughs> Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonath Paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentiful. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. So Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, by Asenath, son of Potiphar, a priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt, and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Let's pray together quickly. Father, today we want to thank you for your word, and we realize that it is truth and it is life. And I pray that even in these tough times, as we sit together in our homes, or wherever it is that we are gathered, that your word would minister to us, that your Holy Spirit would be with us, that you'd bring us peace and comfort, that you'd challenge our hearts and remind us, God, of your greatness and of your glory. And as we unpack this passage, Lord, may we be encouraged as your people and be willing to share and to be a light, salt and light, Lord, in this time for a world that so desperately needs you. In Jesus' name we pray. So again, with, with most passages that size, you could preach a whole series just, just on that chunk. But I want to just bring out four, four points today, or four principles really, that we can take away from the life of Joseph in this time that can relate to us and relate to us in the season that we're in as God's people. And the first thing I want to point out is, is this. And this is what stands out to me. This is what stood out to me right from the beginning when I read this passage. And that's this. That in all times and in all circumstances and amongst all people, 
It is to God that glory belongs. And that's the first point today. To God be the glory. Pharaoh says about Joseph, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom the Spirit of God is. And Pharaoh says about Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you. And as God's people, our, our chief goal and our chief end in life is to bring glory to God by walking obediently before him. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of all mankind. And as we walk in obedience to God and as we fulfill the commands God gives us, we bring him glory. And we don't, we don't give God glory. It's not to God that we impart glory. It's, 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 it's not that we glorify God in that way. No, in a sense, we ascribe or assign glory to God as God's people. We don't add to his glory. He is already eternally and infinitely glorious. We just point to it. In a sense, we reflect the glory of God to others in the world around us. When it comes to God's glory, we are less, we are less like microscopes that take something small and make it big. And we're more like telescopes that take something that's far off, that appears small, but is actually giant. And we make it more obvious to others. And that is exactly what Joseph is for Pharaoh in this time. As God is at work in the life of Joseph, so Pharaoh gets to see the glory of God. And it's exactly what Joseph was before for the keeper of Pharaoh's prisons. And it's exactly what Joseph was before for Potiphar when Joseph was a slave in his house. You see, even though Joseph was a foreigner in a foreign land, and mistreated and enslaved in that land. He was never abandoned by God. He was always in the presence of God, and God was always with him, working through him in times of trouble. And here's one of the key things that the Lord dropped in my heart as I was preparing this message today. That the only reason why Joseph was able to glorify God the way that he did in the times that he found himself in was because Joseph had a relationship with God. God was always with him, and Joseph was always with God. And, and we see this throughout the story of Joseph. In, back in Genesis chapter 39, verse, one to, verse 2 to 3, it says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. A very similar thing is said about him when he ends up in prison. In verses 23 of chapter 9, it says, The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You see, wherever Joseph went, people saw God at work within him. People recognize God at work in the life of Joseph. And it doesn't mean they always appreciated it. At least in a general sense, maybe they did. But specifically and personally, maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't always appreciate it. But what was true is that they always noticed it. I think, think some things that I've been thinking about for my own life is if the Spirit of God 
was alive and well in the life of Joseph back then in Egypt. And God brought glory to himself through someone like Joseph. What about us today? What about us who, who are in Christ Jesus? What about us, we who have received the spirit of adoption? What about us who have the Holy Spirit of God in us in a time such as this? Some questions we've got to, we've got to ask ourselves and, and be challenged by are, are questions like this. Is God being glorified in our lives like he was in the life of Joseph? Are we like the moon reflecting the light of the sun? Is the glory of God being seen in us in the way we respond in times that we find ourselves in? Is the glory of Jesus being seen in his people, even though we're confined to our homes for the next three weeks? Is the glory of God being seen in the way we respond, in the way we communicate, and the things we post, the links we share? We all know that we're living in unprecedented times. But it's exactly in times like these when God's people need to rise up and make his glory known. Church, as you're watching this, I want to remind you that right where you're sitting or standing or lying down, wherever it is that you are, God is with you and has never left you, nor will he ever forsake you. Just like he was with Joseph, so he is with us now and will be our God for all time. And I can promise you this, despite the tough times we're in and are going to face, God is doing something. God is at work, and it will result in him being glorified. We don't always see it. We don't always perceive it. We don't always recognize it, but it is there. God is at work through his people to bring him glory. And I think that should encourage us in a time like this. So often we can wonder what the point of this is or what's going to, what's going to be the end result of this. I can promise you now, regardless of what lies ahead of us, God is building his church God is strengthening his people, and God will bring glory to his name through those who are faithful to him, and we can be encouraged by that. In times where people are desperate, when, when all human effort has been exhausted, and when it seems like all hope has been lost, we remember that we serve a living God, and a God who loves his people and is positioning them to rise up and to point to him. I was thinking about some of the prayers that we prayed in our, in our meeting times together during our week of prayer and fasting and also during our Tuesday evening prayer times. And the last uh, prayer meeting that I got to lead, I, I encouraged us to pray for revival, to pray for salvation, to pray for many people to come to know Jesus. And we, we so often pray for that. We, we, we so often ask God to, to save the lives of many. And that's a good thing. And we so often ask to be used. And I was just encouraged and challenged by God and just was reminded that now, now more than ever, there is no time better than now for us as a church to be a voice and a reflection of the glory of God to a world that so desperately needs to know him. I am so grateful that I know Jesus and that I have a relationship with the living God in a season and a time like this because God truly imparts to his people a peace that surpasses all understanding. And when you live out that peace, church, you bring glory to God. Like Joseph, we are not in this season for no reason. It is for the glory of God. There is something God is doing, 
And now, even more than ever, we must trust God. I really believe that God has raised his people up for a time such as this. So let the glory of God be seen in your life and in your response and in the way that you live to the glory of his name. Moving on to point number two. In verse 44, it says this, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. And Pharaoh gave to Joseph the name Zaphoneth Paneah. In this section, we see Joseph being renamed. Now, the best that interpreters and translators can do with this name, because it's such an ancient Egyptian dialect, the best way that they can interpret this goes something along the lines of, the God speaks and he lives. The God speaks and he, being Joseph, lives. So point two is this. God speaks and his people live. What's really amazing about this name change from Pharaoh to Joseph is that essentially what Pharaoh is recognizing in the, in, in the changing of his name, what, what Pharaoh is declaring is that he recognizes that if it wasn't for God speaking to his servant Joseph, Joseph would have probably died in a prison or a dungeon somewhere. And as a result, so too were so many Egyptian lives saved. If God had not spoken to Joseph, if God had not given him the ability to interpret dreams, Joseph probably would have died in prison and people would not have known about the years of famine coming and who knows how many people would have died because of starvation. People from all over, far and wide, lived because God spoke through his people. As Christians, as Christians we recognize that we live not only by the food that we eat and the water that we drink, but we know that God's word says man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now in old times, that word, it says uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, came through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In other words, God has spoken to us in old times in ways that he hasn't spoken to us and doesn't speak to us now. Now, God speaks to us through his son, Jesus Christ, and in all that is revealed and expounded upon about him in the New Testament. Jesus is the word of God. And as it says in the book of John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, the word speaking about Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So even in that sense, Joseph's Egyptian name is pointing us to Jesus. For God speaks and he lives. Because God has spoken to us in and through the person of Jesus Christ, we live. Peter picks up on this theme in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 to 25, when he says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, not because of the food that you eat, have you been born again, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. In this season, church, and in every other season, in this season and every other season of life, Jesus is the good news. He is 
the word of God. There is never a time when the news of Jesus is not good news. It is only bad news for those who reject it. But Jesus has made himself available. And in every season, the good news and the gospel of Jesus is good news. It's by this word that we live. Now, I want to move on a little bit and, uh, and touch on something that we've, we have preached on quite a bit before, but I think it's worth repeating because we see it in this passage that we've read this morning. Essentially, in times like the ones we find ourselves in, uh, in this moment, it's good to remember that the goodness of God is sometimes displayed through what we can call fruitful pain. If you like catchphrases, here's a good one for you. Uh, God's goodness through fruitful pain, which is point number three. God's goodness through fruitful pain. When we read the scriptures, there's no ways you can read the Bible with integrity and interpret it properly and apply a good hermeneutic uh, to your interpretation of scripture and come away saying something like, ah, oh, I get it. If, if, if I truly follow Jesus and if I really walk obediently before him, and if I give my life to him, then life here will become hassle-free, totally safe, trouble-free and pain-free. There's also no ways that you can read the Bible and come away thinking that all difficult times and that all suffering and all persecution and all pain that we go through as his people is as a result of something we've done wrong or as a result of a lack of faith. No. When you read God's word, when you study the scriptures, it is obvious that God has warned us and has told us and has prepared us and said there are going to be times of grief. There are going to be times of trial. There are going to be times of persecution and hardship and pain. And sometimes those trials and those temptations are going to come as a result of you loving Jesus. And because we're so committed and dedicated to him, and that's not meant to get us down, that's meant to encourage us. God knows what's coming. He's foreseen the future. He is sovereign and in control, and he's got his people's backs. But we need to remember this. I think so often we can lose hope when times get tough and things get difficult. But our God is the God who lives and the God who rescues his people. But just because God's prepared us for these times doesn't necessarily make it easier. I know that. But it does mean that we can trust that God is at work even in the midst of those difficult times. God is in work, at work in spite of the times we find ourselves in. We see this first and foremost in the life of Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays just, about, just, just before he's about to be uh, crucified. He prays and says, My Father, if it be possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, some people believe that Jesus just prayed that uh, and, 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 and uh, was hoping that, um, let me rephrase, some people believe that Jesus prayed that and, uh, and didn't really mean it in the sense that he, he knew what God was going to do uh, regardless of what he prayed. But I'm of the belief that um, Jesus prayed this fully human and prayed it because he meant it and, and really wanted God to take this cup of suffering from him. And if, and if there was any other way of doing this, he was asking his father to do it that way. But he recognized, like he says at the end, that it is not God's will. It is not his will, but God's will that was to be done. And these are the realities for us in following Jesus. Jesus. 
There are going to be times where God's will isn't necessarily what we think it is. And our hearts need to be turned to Him and trust in Him knowing that we can ask Him to take something away, but even if He doesn't, we follow Him faithfully and walk obediently to Him. There is fruitfulness that Jesus brings in the midst of pain. And that's exactly what happens to Joseph. And, and, and we pick up on that theme in him naming his two sons. It says in verse 50, Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So Joseph names his, his firstborn son Manasseh. And he says, the reason why I've named him this name is because God has made me forget all my troubles. Now let me just ask you a question quickly, and, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you know the answer to this. But um, do you really think that Joseph has forgotten or had forgotten all the pain and sorrow that he had endured over those 13 Yes. Had, had Joseph really forgotten and no longer remembered the pain and the suffering that his brothers had put him through, the cruelty that they had shown him, had Joseph really forgotten the years that he had lost out on uh, time with his father, had he really forgotten that he had been unjustly accused and, and chucked into prison, had he really forgotten that he had been forgotten in prison and left to sit there for longer than he should have? Of course not. Of course Joseph still remembers these things, but what he says and what he means in what he says is that God, despite the pain and despite the times of difficulty, has redeemed those times of pain and hardship. God had not abandoned him to suffering, but was with him through it. Even more, God wasn't just with him, but God had used Joseph in such a way to bring him glory, to bring God glory, and to redeem the lives and to save the lives of many, many people. Joseph had experienced pain, but as the name of his second son points out, God had made sure it was fruitful pain. And sometimes this doesn't make sense to us. But it's like pruning and the concept of pruning and the principle of pruning, which God's Word speaks about all the time. There will be seasons that we don't understand and seasons that are difficult for us to live through. But always God is with us and always God is working this for the good of those who love Him. The second son Joseph named Ephraim and said this, I named him this because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. I realize that there are many of us Many of us, no doubt, like Joseph, who have experienced numerous forms of hardship. You may know the stinging pain of betrayal from a loved one who was supposed to be protecting you, but actually ended up hurting you. We may have been afflicted by our own sinful decisions and actions. We may have been experiencing the pains of life that are common to everyone. But regardless of what it is that you're going through, there is probably something that you wanting God to deliver you from. Possibly a difficult relationship. Possibly tough times or work environment, tough work environment, a chronic illness, a dark season of loneliness, or something else. Something we all have in common is this 21 days 
of isolation and, and uh, the COVID-19 virus. We're praying daily that God would deliver us from that. But let me ask you this quickly. And this is not also to be um, negative, but it's to get us to shape and to shift our perspective uh, towards a kingdom-orientated one. Because in times we can become, times like this, we can become so selfish and don't even realize it. Let, let me ask you this question, regardless of what you're going through. What happens if God doesn't deliver us from it? Or doesn't make us to literally forget about it? What happens if God rather makes us fruitful and causes us to bear more fruit as a result of the affliction we face or the tough times we find ourselves in? I don't know if you can remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were told that they had to worship an idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had put up. And they refused to do that, and so they were brought before King Nebuchadnezzar to give an account of why they weren't worshipping this idol. King Nebuchadnezzar, they said, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. In church, I want to say God is able to redeem and deliver us from anything. Then they go on to say, And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But then there's this follow-up statement, which is so profound and so powerful. They say this, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego realized was that they lived for the glory of God. Not their own comfort, not their own uh, purposes for life but for the glory of God. And they recognized that God was able to redeem them and rescue them from the fiery furnace, from the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar. But even if he didn't, they lived for the glory of God and would not submit to the idols that had been set up for them to worship to. We have Paul in the New Testament who, who has a thorn in the flesh. It's described as a thorn in the flesh and no one quite knows what that is. But regardless of what it is, it was really irritating to Paul to have this and it was a burden a thorn in his flesh, and he prayed numerous times. He says he asks God to take this away from him, and the response of the Lord to him is this, my grace is sufficient for you. And I want to say in these times, church, God's grace is sufficient for us. God's grace is sufficient for you. Jesus himself, as I mentioned earlier, prayed for the cup of the cross to pass, but ultimately submitted to the will of the Father. And from that, and I'm so grateful for this. From that came life for all of those who would put their faith in him afterwards. The will of the Father led Christ to the cross and meant that Christ was ultimately crucified and, and killed. And even when he was resurrected, he still bore in his body the scars of his crucifixion, which meant that he did not forget the pain, rather that in his pain... He bore the scars, but ultimately redeemed and was redeemed from them, and as a result, redeemed us. The scars that Jesus bore remind him of the fruitfulness of his suffering and remind us of the goodness of God and the fruitfulness of God and the fruit that God's able to produce even in times of pain. How we respond in suffering is so important. The suffering of God's people is never in vain. And it may be due to suffering 
or even your attitude in times of suffering and difficulty that cause others to seek and to find Jesus. Always remember that we have a living hope, a promise of a future that ultimately has nothing to do with this world. And I think this season just brings that into perspective for us. The worldliness of this world and, and so the, the, the temporary nature of all the stuff that we have is brought into perspective in a time like this where we realize what's important. When we realize that our hope and our faith in Jesus is about far more than what he can give us here, but about the hope and the promise of everlasting life to come. 1 Peter 1 says this, Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. In that truth we greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold and perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, we can be fruitful. It can be fruitful pain. We can rejoice in the midst of our affliction, our affliction, knowing that we are alive in Christ and will ultimately be resurrected one day into an eternal hope at His second coming, no matter what we are going through here on earth. And this leads me to my last point for today. We get it from these verses, verses 54 to 57. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. In a sense, as we read this passage and we read those verses, we realize that, that Joseph was the keeper of bread in Egypt. Joseph essentially was the one who people went to for food and, and for life. Word got out that if you were hungry, you needed to go to Joseph. Word got out that if you went to Joseph, you'd be given what you needed to survive. Word spread not only around Egypt, but throughout the lands far and wide beyond Egypt, that Joseph had bread and in a sense had life. And again, like all good scripture, not that there's bad scripture, in all scripture, uh, we are pointed to Jesus. Because although Joseph was the keeper of bread. And although that bread brought life, only Jesus is the true bread of life. All who come to Jesus by grace through faith never hunger nor thirst. And although Joseph gave physical bread, Jesus gives spiritual bread. And although physical bread is necessary, spiritual bread is of far more importance. And so the role of Joseph 
And the responsibility of Joseph and what Joseph was responsible for doing points us towards Jesus. The need for bread is important. That's why the shops are filled and people are panic buying. And our cupboards, those of us who are blessed to do it, are stocked with supplies because we realize that that is necessary for life. But more than that, when that runs out and your stomach's digest the food that you've eaten, you get hungry again. More than that, Jesus gives us eternal life, eternal bread, eternal water. And because of him, we never thirst or hunger in a way that is really important. John chapter 6, 35 and 40 says this, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. In Christ alone, we have our spiritual hunger and thirsts fully satisfied. The people came to Joseph during a time of famine to buy grain, but we come to Jesus to receive spiritual food and spiritual life without a price because he's the one who has paid the price for us. We get it from him freely. And as I end today, I want to say this to us. May this be a season where as God's people, we shine forth the glory of God, where we rest in his presence, when we, where we rest in his sovereignty, where we look to see him at work in the midst of tough times. And may we be a people who willingly dish out and give away what has been deposited in us. I pray that like in Joseph's time, Word would get out that the church, God's people, have the food that others so desperately need. And I pray that they would come looking. And when they come looking and seeking and asking, that where possible we will meet their physical needs. But most importantly, more than anything, I pray that we would point them towards Jesus, the Savior, the Redeemer, and the lover of our souls. I really believe that in this season we have a huge opportunity as God's people to stand up and to be like Joseph and to in the midst of trying times shine the light and the glory of Jesus and bring him glory and to see people saved. I pray that God's people would be strong in this time and that we'd remember we serve a living God and with him all things are possible. Nothing takes him by surprise. And in this season I believe God is doing something that's far beyond our ability to see or imagine. And for that, I'm grateful. And for that, I'm excited. I pray that you'd be excited and grateful and encouraged as well. Let's pray together. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. and want to thank you that you're faithful, that you are gracious, that you're loving and kind, that you're able, you're sovereign and powerful. You're all-knowing. Nothing escapes you, God. And because of that, we can rest in you. I pray over this season and in this time for provision for your people. I pray for peace for us in our homes. I pray that families would be united and grow together in ways that they haven't before and weren't able to before because of the busyness of life. I pray, God, that you would meet the physical needs of your people, that we would have the food and we would have the water to drink that we need. But more than anything in this season, God, may we hunger and thirst for righteousness and find in you fulfillment for our hunger and our thirst spiritually. And may we be effective and proactive in ministering to people, however we can, whenever we can in this season. 
And when we are able to come together again, Lord, I pray that there'd be testimony after testimony after testimony of the glory and the goodness of God working in miraculous ways, saving people's lives and providing for people in ways that could only be explained as miraculous. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen. Bless you and have a wonderful day. And I hope that you catch the next sermon which Howard will be preaching. Bless you. Bye. Thanks, T.